by Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Janet Benvenuti, founder of Circle of Life Partners, author of Don't Give Up On Me, Supporting Aging Parents Successfully, and all-around elder care expert. Hi, Janet. Welcome to 321 iRelaunch. Hi, Carol. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yes, it is so great to be talking with you. I just want to tell our listeners that uh, we have known each other since we were business school classmates, and that's a long time. And our career paths have both been winding and have included career breaks. And um, my career break was for childcare reasons. A lot of people know that. Your career break was for elder care. And I want to know if you can walk us through your career path and some of the stops and starts and what happened uh, with your own experience taking this career break for elder care reasons. Sure. Um, Well, I began my career as a scientist. So I worked in the aerospace industry for um, several years before I went to B school. And I used business school as a way of transitioning out of aerospace into something else, not knowing what that something else was going to be. After business school, I wound up in um, an executive job with one of the pharmaceutical companies. So I switched into healthcare at that point and continued working in pharmaceuticals um, until my first son, uh, first child was born. And about eight months um, after he was born, I decided that I didn't want to travel as much internationally because my job encompassed work in 40 countries and 36,000 people. So I um, stepped away from the corporate work and created a virtual consulting business with a group of old people who were in their 50s. Um, They had retired early and I was in my 30s and uh, about a dozen of of them teamed up with me and I was the rainmaker and we we had a great time. We did a lot of uh, work for Fortune 20 companies, but I was able to work mostly from home, a home office, which gave me the flexibility I wanted for my um, raising our family. Uh, My father had throat cancer, and that was the first sign that things were starting to change with him. I said to my husband at that time, we had a second child coming. I said, I'm going to take the kids to Boston. It'll be temporary, only for a few years. We were living in New Jersey and working in Manhattan. Um, And, you know, I want the children to get to know him before he gets to a point where, you know, he was too elderly to be really um, part, you know, sort of engaged in, in with them. And so I relocated them to um, Boston, what I thought was only going to be a few years. And 24 years later, my husband still commutes to New York. <laughs> in fact, that's where he is today. Um, so that was the sort of first career change, but I was working full time and we had lots of projects and it was great fun. And then about three years later, the real change happened. Um, I was working from home. My father called to say that the pain in his side that he thought was pneumonia was actually stage four lung cancer. And he was calling to ask if I would help my mother out paying bills and such. And I said, well, of course. Um, And I didn't even focus on the fact that he told me he'd gone to see his attorney. Um, 
So I was just trying to figure out, okay, how do I juggle this now? How do I shuffle some of my work so I could get to the hospital and then be available to help him transition home and so forth? Because my mother was not well also. She was living with heart disease and dementia. Um, So I focused on that at first. And then I saw the legal documents and read them. And I realized that I was now legally responsible, not only for my six-year-old and three-year-old, but also a 78-year-old dying from cancer and a 77-year-old living with with illnesses herself. So there it began. Um, at first, I continued working. I wrapped up one project and was about to take on another one and realized that I couldn't do this. Um, I had, there were medical appointments I needed to make sure their legal lives were in order. There was just a lot that had to be handled. And I also felt that I didn't want to do it for a year or so, that I deserved time with my parents, especially my father before the end of his life, I felt that I had worked for years and I was going to give myself this break. And so the folks I worked with all understood and everybody was you know, busy doing other projects too. So, so I thought I would take a year off. Well, it turned out to be nearly seven years off. Um, and because one thing led to another, um, when I got into my 40s now, all my friends started asking for help. And they didn't ask the what questions, Carol, they asked the how questions. They asked, um, how did you get the car keys away from your mother? How did you find home care? How did you pay for home care? Because they were people of modest means. And so I went looking for a book to give people and say, look, here's what it looks like. Here's what elder care really looks like, not what you think <laughs> it's like it's a bit like raising children there's there are the what you find in books and then there's the reality and so I went looking for that book and I couldn't find it so I wrote it and what I did is I took the last 10 years of their life and divided it into three segments the first third of the book covers what went on when they were both living at home together and I show you how some how, what it looks like to sort of transition into taking over managing someone's life. Then my father died rather abruptly. And so there was sheer chaos because we hadn't addressed the housing issue for my mother. So one sister and I stepped in and we sort of figured all that out. And then the last third of the book, I take you actually into their end of life scenarios. Um, I wanted people, I wrote the book in the first person. I wrote it as a case study. And after each third in the book, I actually give explicit advice. So I wanted you to feel the experience, the not knowing what was coming next, the surprise every time you turn around. I also wanted to fill in the knowledge gaps that people may not, may have about this stage in life. Um, I liken it to raising your first child. You know, they're somewhat of an experiment. You know, by the time you get to your third or fourth child, you you know you you sort of know what's coming. Um, but I didn't. I had never heard of something called C diff or Clostridium difficile, and some of your listeners may not either. And yet, that's a, a infection that's rampant among elders. I had never been inside the uh, a psychiatric hospital. 
the locked unit in one. So I take the reader in with me so they see what that looked like. Um, I had never made the decision to allow physicians to end the life of somebody that I love. And I take the reader into that as well, along with giving a lot of other guidance. Um, so, so I published the book and now I had it in hand and I thought, okay, this is great. Now I have something to hand to all these people who keep asking me for help. And um, then I started getting invited to speak. And um, as you may know, I do a program at the reunions at Harvard Business School. And I speak in front of all kinds of professional groups with the Women's Bar Association, I, the Young Presidents Organization. And I, I still do that to this day. Um, suddenly, this issue of my knowledge about understanding how to navigate the last decade suddenly was trendy. Everybody needed this guidance. Um, so along with the writing and speaking, I also decided I needed to come up to speed on five areas of the science of aging. So I uh, became involved with the Brigham Women's Hospital Women's Health Initiative because women age differently than men. We um, have heart disease impacts us differently. Um, more women have Alzheimer's disease than, than do men, and it's not because we live longer. So I focused on, uh, on that. I focused on integrated medicine. I joined some boards, which is all about, you know, how do you, how do you avoid chronic diseases? Um, what is good primary care look like and, and how do we um, avoid getting heart disease, for example, which is the number one killer of all, all women. I focused on brain research and Alzheimer's disease. How is that prevented? Um, I also uh, learned quite a bit about palliative care, which is the coaching that we can get from physicians as after someone has been diagnosed with a serious illness or a terminal illness. Not all of us have enough medical knowledge to be able to make these choices. And a lot of times families are asked to make choices about chemo or radiation or other, about surgery and so forth. And so you can ask for a palliative care consultation. And I wanted to make sure I fully understood that. And then today, of right. course, we have genomics and precision medicine. So I'm still a real nerd, Carol. You know, nothing has changed in that regard. Um, yeah, it but sounds like you went back to your scientific roots there to really un get deep in, in, in your understanding. And, and also some of the things you're mentioning, you know, we just had an elder care issue um, with my um, husband's parents about like, what is involved when you bring in hospice? Like, what does that mean? That's right. I, I, I never thought about it before. I just heard about the word hospice. Oh yeah, we brought in hospice, but there's actually a procedure. And, it, and I think it's different maybe from state to state or even within states. And so that whole piece of it. Is yes, and a lot of people don't understand with hospice, for example, yeah. they think it's gonna be 24 seven help. Well, no, it's not. Um, right. Not if someone is at <laughs> home if they're in a hospice facility, then of course they're cared for around the clock. So there are lots of nuances. I mean, again, it's, it's a bit like raising children. There are lots of nuances about the decisions that you make. And so about 10 years ago now, um, so many people started asking me for help that I set up a coaching practice. And um, I do that even 
that continues to this day. And then about five years ago, the startup world found me. And so I do also mentor startups as well. So um, the work that I do has evolved over the years. You know, 15 years ago, very few people really understood the aging tsunami that we're facing, Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are trying to juggle parents' situations who live geographically distant from them. You may work in Chicago, but your parents are in Florida and trying to figure out how to do that long distance. I mean, there are resources available to help with that, but helping people access that information really quickly has been my, my mission. Right. And even some of this logistical um, steps like um, helping people downsize uh, from from the houses that they're in, if they have to make that transition to assisted living or board and care and who provides those um, services. So there is so complex. And um, I'm I am really appreciative of the depth of your knowledge as well as the breadth. And, you know, for those of us uh, in the relauncher community who are taking career breaks for elder care reasons, um, or I'm just very eager now to switch over to talking about actual strategies. And also, I just want to acknowledge for our audience that we have we have scenarios with relaunchers where you start taking your career break for childcare reasons, and then you think you're about to go back, and all of a sudden, an elder care issue um, happens, and your your career break gets extended um, and becomes an elder care career break. So That's right. And I had expect year. I thought I had it all nailed down. I thought I had this great virtual consulting business. It was going to it was growing by leaps and bounds. And I thought I'm all set now. I have this really flexible way of working. It was really fun. It was um, a terrific job, if you will. Um, and then just having two parents suddenly seriously ill to care for it's hard to admit that you can't do it all, but you know you can't do it all at times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And fortunately today, we have an organization like yours, which enables people to relaunch. Because when I did decide to relaunch again, I did come to your program um, years oh, ago. And so oh, yeah. it, was, right. it was very helpful. It was one of three things that I did to relaunch. Oh, I'm so glad to to hear that. And thank you for reminding me and mentioning that. So I'd like to just remind our listeners, those of you who might be tuning in right now, that you are listening to 321 I Relaunch. This is Carol Fishman Cohen, your host, and I'm speaking with Janet Benvenuti, founder of Circle of Life Partners, author of Don't Give Up On Me, Supporting Aging Parents Successfully and a real expert in the world of elder care. And we are focusing today specifically on career breaks for elder care reasons. So Janet, I wanna switch gears now and uh, get uh, into talking about actual strategies, scenarios, um, anecdotes for our listeners about, you know, when you're immersed in the whole world and issues involving elder care. Can you take us through some of the guidance that you give people about where to start or the things they have to think about or how they categorize it? Um, just maybe what, what the approach is and, and sure. the starting point. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, um, I think the first thing is if you are working, the, is to, to check your benefits. 
right now a lot of companies offer elder care benefits. They may have free consultations with professional geriatric care managers. They may offer flex time. So I would uh, take a look at the benefits and see what your company offers. I think that a second issue is to recognize that geography matters, that physical distance between you and your parents, especially if you become that designated child as I was. I was one of five children, um, mm. but my father tapped me. <laughs> so uh -huh. I, that happens in a lot of families. There may be, you may be an only child or you may only have um, you know, one sibling and the two of you are working, trying to work together on this. So if there is a, a long distance between you and your parents and they reach this stage in life where they need support, that finding strategies, one strategy is to shorten that distance, either by having your parents relocate closer to you, or as I did, I relocated closer to my parents. Now, most people relocate the parent or the parents remain where they are together and support each other. And then when there's a, um, a widow or a widower, then there's a consideration of moving and relocating someone. But that physical distance can create all kinds of time constraints. Um, the, the third point I would make is that if you have siblings that caring for an elder is, is a team sport. Mm -hmm. There's no need, and I find people like you, Carol, and <laughs> certain personality yes. types who like take charge of life, yes. um, they are harder to work with than folks who are used to working, work, you know, not being in charge all the time. So mm -hmm. this is not, this is a, you know, a, a, a very time consuming long process. 50% of elders will need support for less than a year. But 25% will need support for five years or longer. So if we're talking mm -hmm. about parents, and some people have step-parents, we're talking about in-laws or your partner's parents, you, know, you may be caring for older people for a long period of time, can be decades. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there's a need to, to create a support team around the aging parents. And there's also a need to create a support team around the person who's that designated child. I actually have a little exercise that your listeners can do that can get really granular about how do you create a very specific support team. So if we can digress for a minute, Carol, I'm going to actually show you folks exactly how to how to do this. Um, can we do Great. this exercise? Yes. Okay, yes. so I have a blank piece of paper in front of me and I'm putting my name in the center of the, the paper. Mm -hmm. And so I'm writing my name in the center and on either side of me, I'm writing the names of my siblings. So in my case, I have two brothers and I have two sisters. And mind you, they're not all, they didn't all support my parents equally. And we, we're mm -hmm. going to acknowledge that. Um, I also will put on this line, um, one of my cousins who's like another sister to me. So if there's someone in your family who is very much akin to a sibling, they should belong, they, their name belongs in that line. And then mm -hmm. above that, above my name, I'm writing the names of my parents. And if I had grandparents, I would put them at the top of the page. Mm -hmm. Underneath each of my siblings' names, I'm writing my nieces and nephews' names. Now, my parents had five adult children, 
plus my niece, my cousin. Mm -hmm. And then they had 16 grandchildren. So there are a lot of people on this piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then next to each of my siblings, I'm writing the names of their spouses or partners. Mm -hmm. Because we're all married. Now, this is the network. This is the nucleus of care that my parents had and that your parents have. Mm -hmm. The next step to this exercise is to think about the skill sets of each of the people on this piece of paper. So for example, um, one of my sisters who had has four daughters, three of whom were teenagers at the time. She has a doctorate in education and had worked with children who were disabled and adults since she was 13. Her husband works at a psychiatric hospital. She Mm -hmm. offered that my mother could live with her. Now, they had a fairly modest house, you know, one bathroom. uh, And everybody in the family thought I was totally crazy thinking that my mother could live there. But from a skills point of view, they were really the only ones in the family who had enough sort of professional skill to take care of someone through the, you know, the end of her life. And my mother wound up moving there, but she needed a place to live. Well, if I look across the whole family, I have a brother-in-law who builds custom homes. So he was able to build a small apartment for my mother. So if if you look at your family's resources, when Mm -hmm. I meet with families or I talk with them on the phone, I coach the siblings. I don't deal with the elders themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. I always say, so what do you do? And I'm curious Right. But I'm also trying to figure out who has what skills where they can sort of naturally be helpful as opposed mm-hmm. to imposing on people to do something that's unnatural. So if I asked you, Carol, to you know pay the bills for me if I were your mother, uh, you know, chances are you're, you, you're a good candidate for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Given your background, um, mm-hmm. some pa- families have nurses or they have physicians. Um, so they can naturally be the ones who sort of oversee the, the medical side of things. So you're, you're building a, a support network, the nucleus of which is the family. Sometimes it's the biological family. Other times it's that family that you've accumulated over the years. Mm-hmm. If there are people listening who are older themselves, you should do this for yourself because who's going to help right. you as you age? Right. Um, and it's helpful to think about this as a team exercise. So even if someone lives geographically distant, they can do research. I had one um, colleague call who lives on the West Coast and his sisters live on the East Coast close to to his parents. He wanted um, help for the, the siblings, his sisters. But I said, well, what are you doing to help them? You know, one of his nephews was looking at colleges and he knew a lot about the college process. And I said, why don't you help your sister uh, free up some time so that she has more time to deal with your parents? So if you think about this as a as a a team, as a family, as a family in the purest sense of the the term, then you want to try to spread the the work of the tasks out because your focus should be on keeping your parents as engaged as possible through the end of their lives. 
I mean, the focus is on yeah. the fun. The book that I wrote was right. instructional. That's such so an important point. That's absolutely. such an important point. I, I mean, I, I was just thinking when you were talking, so we have this, because um, I live across the country from my mother. My um, sister lives right, relatively close to her. But my role has to do with bill paying and you know financial management and power of attorney stuff and a lot of stuff that I can handle from afar. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, my sister, because of her proximity, is really um, is the one who has to deal with the hands-on visiting and going over there and you know the the actual coordinating that you do if you're local. And I guess we could maybe talk about the scenario where someone is an only child or feels that the network is very narrow and they don't live near the parent. And like, do you see many scenarios where the answer is you have to move to be physically close to the parent? Someone has to be in that role or you hire some agency or a social worker and they're in that role because someone That's right. needs the proximity? That's right. So usually what people will do is they relocate closer to a family member if that's possible. And if it's not possible, and, 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 and again, often it's not possible, um, then what happens, there are professional care managers whom one can hire. There's There are several uh, organizations that people can reach out to to find a professional care manager. These folks tend to be licensed social workers or nurses whom you can hire to help. Um, and they will basically be the equivalent of that designated child. They'll stop in, they'll help set up home care. They can, can be your um, person on the ground, akin to your sister who lives close to your mom and um, help you help your help your parent. Wait, uh, Janet, th those resources that you're mentioning, at the end, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you if you can tell people how they can find out a, a lot of information about what you're sure. talking about today. On your website or on any, uh, some other resource that you'll mention at the end, do you actually have links or lists of these organizations with these social workers or people who can be in that role? Or yes, do I do. Yes, okay. I do. And there's um, the, the one that I'm referencing right now is called Aging Life Care Associates. And they used to be called, but if you Google geriatric care manager, they'll pop up. Oh, and so you that's, put in those your, are the key you, words. And, and yeah. that's a national organization or is it's that? It's a national organization. And there are three that I, I like. Um, okay. And the trick is like if someone has serious medical issues, then I would tend to look for a nurse care manager who's a nurse ah, as opposed okay. to a social worker. Social workers tend to, they can, they, they're equally good, but if someone has some medical issues that are significant, I, I like to use, have a nurse go in because they look at things a little differently. The social workers tend to know all the local resources and they can be very helpful, but it is difficult, you know, and it's expensive because you're privately paying for these services. I see. So, okay. So are there any, uh, so you, do you think it's best that we recommend people at the end of the call to check your website or are there any particular names that you want to mention right now? Um, I think they should check my website and also okay. I'll, I'll, we can check because there are several different organizations. There are some that charge less than others. There are some that are free of charge. Thank you, Janet, so much for joining us. 
You've been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to tune in to the second part of this podcast with Janet Benvenuti. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media.